welcome back. I did this last time too, and it's 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 so much fun to not know whether you I'm talking to you guys or whether I'm talking to the audience. I, I don't know. It's it's so ominous. Again, just like the game, you it's, create this fear. That's what I want. Just because you want atmosphere. Your delivery of it too, of it too is just very just like nonchalance. so nonchalance. We're just like, oh, are, did we start? I'm like that guy sitting by the fireplace that's just with the wine, and he's like, oh, I didn't see you there. And then uh, we just continue hello as I'm sloshing so you, my wine. So you came back. <laughs> so you showed up. So again, you returned. Huh? Welcome like, oh. back. Oh, hello. Uh, yeah, hello guys. How's it going? How's how's uh, how how are you doing? How 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 are you, Daniel? Okay, just just making sure you're talking to us again because I'm like they can't respond to us. <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. Uh, we're recording this literally exactly a month away from part two, and Ooh. with every day that arrives anew, it feels realer and realer. So I'm just really excited. And I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. I can't wait till it gets pushed back again, and then we have to delay this whole Don't series. even say it. I would just so say that. Sorry. You put that out there now. You put that out there. Put it in the universe. So sorry. How how great would it be in the middle of this episode if we got a tweet notification? <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd have to end the podcast right there. I think literally we'd just have take, to. Yeah. Take part one down. Take the teaser down. We're yeah. not friends anymore it's for some series reason. Series finale after this. Exactly. <laughs> we just cut it short. And that's all the story we want to tell today. Um, cool. So good to hear. Good to hear you're doing well, Daniel. Shay, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I mean, again, we're getting a month closer. So, uh, you know, the the anticipation is rising because now I'm starting to think, I don't know how you guys have it pre-ordered. I, at the moment, have a physical pre-order inside of a mall. So oh, a, lot of me, a lot of me is going, okay. If it doesn't, the, the mall doesn't open up in time here. Am I just gonna bite the bullet and also buy it digitally? Because I mean, eventually I will. I will be just digital for the game, but I I want that collectible stuff too. So I don't know. A lot of a lot of thoughts in my head right now. To be honest. Of course, yeah. Luckily, I have I will... it digitally, so mm-hmm. I'll be starting that journey at midnight. Mm-hmm. I, I no matter what, I'm starting that journey at midnight though. I'm in the same boat. I think I might. Okay, I'm going to recap really quickly. So I've got an Ellie edition at EB. I've got mm-hmm. an Ellie edition at Best Buy. I've got an Ellie edition on Best Buy US. Mm-hmm. I've got a collector's edition at EB. I've got a deluxe edition at EB. And then I plan on buying the digital. Just just for the list, I you don't pay for pre-orders, so I've just committed to these things, and I fully right. intend to break my commitment to most of these things. <laughs> You're just securing uh, it, right? That's I've all. just secured. I've paid them all off fully. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> so I, I will likely be doing the same thing if they're you know depending on where we're at with the with the pandemic um, in June. There is a good likelihood I will be buying digital to play at midnight and then picking up my goodies the next day. Yeah, um, because I doubt we'll see a midnight launch or anything of that nature for a physical copy. So might be stuck buying it twice. There are worse things. I've done it before. I will do it again for The Last of Us Part Three if there is a Last of Us Part Three. Did the Pro, the PlayStation Pro console, entice you at all to uh, to double dip on another console? Uh, honestly, like yes, a little bit. The con- I'm really glad they're offering the accessories separately because for the Spider-Man console, I really wanted the Spider-Man controller never released separately, which is really unfortunate. Um, yeah, it's re- honest. Yeah. I have, I have that what, one. 
The place, the Spider-Man controller. I have the controller and the PS4 Pro. Yeah. Oh, really? You went with the with the Spider-Man edition? Yeah, yeah. Because I was waiting to buy a PS4 Pro, and I was like, I'm not gonna hold out until The Last of Us because I had a feeling that'd be too close to the end of the cycle. So right. I felt like maybe Spider-Man was a good point. But go on. Yeah, and and, and you wanted to see that in in uh, 4K and oh, everything too. Of course. I was in the same boat actually. I pre-ordered the Spider-Man one, and then the 500. Uh, thousand or the sorry the 500 million playstation came out and i ended up opting to go with that one because i thought it would just be that it, it's beautiful beautiful it's that one's a nice so color. nice though yeah and i, I wish, knew I, I, would, wish I went for that one i knew i would keep it that was the big thing yeah. for me mm-hmm. is the spider-man one i know after playing spider-man i'd probably be looking at it and be like oh i wish i got something a little bit more subtle mm-hmm. so uh, i i do really like this one i like the design i like that it's you know it's just black it's sleek it, it has the design of, of ellie's tattoo on it the, the yeah, controller and it too on the controller and the console it's such a nice touch and i yeah, like that it's, it's like touch. the same color it's like the the one tone just just engraved so it doesn't look like a lot of the times with i think with custom or like with special edition consoles you'll get really gnarly looking ones with different crazy radical colors where this one actually looks like it will it will belong in your home console station your home media console there so i'm really excited for that they just look lazy. I find I find a lot of them just look like they're 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 billboards for the game. But I mean, yeah, if you're buying the console, a, you don't need a billboard on there. Yeah, so I I I love it, but it's really hard to justify. It's impossible really to justify, given that <laughs> we're probably going to get a PS5 this year, and then I've already got a Pro right now. So it, it's a nice thought, but I will settle for the controller. The controller is is, is quite nice. Yeah, it's a nice. We've keyboard. secured that controller as well, so that's great. We have. On BestBuy.ca and BestBuy.com, <laughs> and and wherever Daniel shops, <laughs> I'll send out a link later. It'll be in the episode. <laughs> um, cool. So yeah, so we got some Last of Us news today. Obviously, it was unexpected. Honestly, it just kind of came out this morning, and all of a sudden, you could pre-order these consoles. So exciting stuff. If you don't have a PS4 Pro, definitely check it out. It's one of the nicer themed consoles for sure. Um, and with that, I mean, I think we're ready to dive in and talk about Last of Us Part 1 and, and continuing our playthrough here. It's been a an eventful week of, of Last of Us anticipation with it just, you know, reaching a month point and with all of us, you know, diving back in and reading up a little bit on the past of The Last of Us. And really now we've been able to play it and we're thinking about some of the more pivotal moments in the game. So let's open that up. We'll, we'll kind of recap really quickly what happened last time. Um, we haven't really covered much of the narrative of the game so far. We really just covered the 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 intro, the first 20 or so minutes with um, Tommy and with Joel and with uh, Sarah, Joel's daughter, uh, passing away quite tragically. And then we really left off there so that we could kind of take that in a really, really impactful emotional moment. So we're now going to cover the actual story of The Last of Us and, you know, the relationship between the two main characters. So I will leave it to you two to kick it off and, and, and kind of set the stage for what the first couple chapters looked like. And then we'll we'll deep dive into all of the interesting things that The Last of Us has to offer over the first four chapters. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at, at least what we now know is we're kind of getting into the meat of this game um, because these next four chapters, they're they have a lot. A lot happens in them. And it was surprising because when I was playing through it, I'm like, oh my God, I never realized how much of the story really takes place. Um, so we, we come out of this prologue. We're right in the quarantine zone. It's been 20 years now. So Joel, definitely a lot older. We're looking at a more gruff, weathered Joe. He's he, Joel, yeah. he's been through a lot, you know? Definitely hardened to mm-hmm. how life has been treating him over the past 20 years. 20 years, that's... 
that I, I were you guys expecting a time jump of that caliber when you were first definitely not it? no I, I mean it, it's it's pretty surprising you you get a sense of it just because you see as soon as you look at Joel you get that he's is older and I guess in the marketing materials you knew that the the bulk of the game takes place over when he's older and when he's more grizzled but you don't really expect it yeah because you also in the marketing materials you never even saw him with his daughter either like you never knew who sarah was or anything like that so with the game starting the way it does and then just kind of having that gut gut punch of a 20 years later subtitle drop in there it just you just know this is a different world now yeah watching it now it kind of reminds me of of endgame when it does the five years later jump and uh definitely you don't really know how long, like it says five, you don't know whether it's going to be months, days, or whatever, and it ends up being five years, and it's a significant time jump. So it definitely sets the stage for a big change, and you get a sense of how much the world's gone through in that 20-year period from the original Outbreak Day to now, you know, two decades after uh, Outbreak Day. So we, we're dropped into the quarantine zone. Um, we've, you know, we've met some of the supporting characters. Tess is the first character that we meet. Um, that is not Joel or Sarah or Tommy. Um, and so she's an important part of the early portion of the game. Um, and really, it just sets the stage for the idea of survival because the first couple of moments are, are just kind of covering some ground, maybe catching us up very lightly on the state of affairs. Um, it it ends up being something where Tess and, uh, and Joel need to go and find somebody that has gone off with their weapons cache or did not fill their fulfill their weapons cache, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's Robert. So going to, it's Robert, yeah. So they're going to hunt Robert down to find out what's happened. Um, and some chaos ensues in between that time. But I think just taking a moment in that first moment of the game where, you, where you're you you're with Tess in that room, you really start to get a, a dynamic uh, understanding of, of what Tess and, and Joel really mean to one another. Mm-hmm. Tess has a very similar mentality to Joel and that they're survivors. And, and, you know, later on in this chapter, you really do see Tess, um, come, come into her own as a, as a, as a survivor and as a character, not just as an accessory to Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how important kind of they are, which we'll talk about a little bit later on when we, when we introduce Bill and some of the other characters that are in this chapter, but just what are your thoughts on that, on that test, uh, Joel dynamic just right off the bat? Cause they don't really waste any time, um, establishing that they're, they're, they're very clearly fond of one another and that they rely on one another. Yeah, there, there's definitely the reliance with one another, and I think we don't, we don't learn much about Tess's past, but obviously we know that we know what's happened to Joel. So he's clinging to somebody else who either maybe went through the same thing. Obviously, everyone in this world has lost people at this point, but now he's in this relationship slash just survival partnership, friendship, just to live day by day and trying to find a way to continue living and now what is this quarantined zone where they're surviving the rest of their days as of right now yeah there's um i mean there's also definitely it looks like there's a bit of an age gap i don't think by much um but what i like is we're immediately thrust in this world everything feels believable you know there's there's curfews there's blockades set up and as we're moving through this story, we're noticing, okay, they can only go out at certain times. Obviously, there's ration cards that have to be distributed. Not enough food is a big issue because obviously farming must be difficult at this time. So there's a lot of these things that are happening and it's so believable. And then immediately as we're seeing these characters kind of leave the quarantine zone, we have an ambush by the fireflies where they 
uh, send a truck in, the truck explodes. And at this point now, we're introduced to the more stealth-like elements as um, Tess and Joel have to kind of work their way to get to Robert. And the only way they can do that now is by these tunnels that have been, I guess, dug throughout the years and all these different pathways. And during this process as well is when we start to see some of the humanity and the characters that they're all trying to fight for each other in this quarantine zone. But then as they get through it, they come across that one character who, I guess, his mask broke. And then you're kind of, this is where you're first poised with the dilemma as a character. Like, do you leave that character to turn as they're trapped underneath or do you shoot them? Uh, I'm curious if you guys in your, in your playthrough, what did you guys do? Did you shoot that guy who was about to turn or, <laughs> or did you just walk away? Um, For myself. Yeah. Like, like what you were saying, uh, this, this part of the game really uh, starts introducing you to all the mechanics of the gameplay. And when I came across this guy, I, out of mercy, did shoot him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I that's did. fair. I did the same. I did the same. He, he, I also think about it just through the filter of who Joel's character is, and from what you understand about him at that point. And he's not exactly. somebody that that is very merciful, or or somebody. You know, we talked about it on the first episode, driving by a family that was in need when they're first leaving Austin, or when they're leaving uh, Travis County, or just the outskirts of Travis County in Austin. They leave a family on the side of the road because there's a, a, a chance that it compromises his own and Sarah's uh, um, possibility of survival. So he, he really, you know, we'll talk about it more, but he establishes himself as a survivor. And so for me, the decision was pretty point blank. Like if, I, if I'm in Joel's shoes there, he's probably done that to people that have not begged for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it just feels merciful to, to, you know, give him what he's asking for, which is just to be put out of his misery. Yeah. yeah I, 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 so no, go ahead. No, go well, please finish your thought. I was just going to say, I, I actually, I, I shot him as well. Um, but what I did was I, I shot him a bunch of times and then I went back oh. more ammo <laughs> and came back and kept shooting him. At one and point, throwing bricks at him. Yeah, at one point, even the game started to change. Tesco to me, she's like, "Stop! Like, we don't have any more bullets. You've attracted so many zombies towards us." Uh, In a game that tells you to ration your supply, <laughs> you wasted fifteen bullets on a guy that was immobilized <laughs> and he was, was probably dead after not even the first bullet, but even before it hit him. He was yeah. very, he was very, he was unrecognizable. People that would have oh, walked by him. You know? Yeah. People that would have walked by him would have been like, Oh, maybe he was a clicker, but no, no, he, he was just shot by my bullets. <laughs> my God. But go ahead. Uh, I, was, I was literally yeah. going to, my, my next hour would be, but yeah, this game's beautiful, right? Like, <laughs> no, yeah. gonna, the brain matter was, was great. <laughs> This um this part of the Fucking psychopath shit. <laughs> this I, I mean Did you go back part... and shoot Sarah too after the beginning? Oh, god. Too this dark. New game, this new game plus. This new game plus you can do. Yeah. That. New game plus. Oh my god, that's dark. Uh what Continue. I was going to say is it's such a stark contrast when you're looking at like the suburban neighborhood that this game starts out in and it's all clean and it's it's just a house. It's a house in an everyday neighborhood and then you're seeing what I just want to like just talk a little bit about the visuals of this part of the game because you're seeing this weathered worlds of The Last of Us right now, and you're seeing this world that's like decaying, that has 20 years of just decay and just the fallout of humanity. And I just, it just always blows my mind when you see things in a video game that look old and used 
Because it's like, man, like they took the time to not only make a chair, but they had to make that chair look like it was lived in and it went through shit and all that. So it just it just blows my mind the attention to detail in every single section of this of this part of the game, especially. I have a question for you. Have you been to Boston before? Because it actually looks um, <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> I haven't, but now I feel okay. like I have now because of the game. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it's that's it's uh, it's that's not a, a Last of Us thing. That's just um, that's just Boston. <laughs> yeah, when, when you and I were in Boston, uh, Daniel, we we walked around. And we were like, "Huh, this is a lot of the game." Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> this is where I shot that guy in the head. <laughs> Right, right by Harvard, I believe. Right by Harvard, yeah. Right, right by uh, Concepts at Harvard. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's definitely that that element of 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 you know uh, humanity weathering what we've seen in the in the opening chapter, um, and and the city really starting to show that that struggle. You know, uh, buildings are boarded up. Um, there, there's something I didn't really think about. I thought it it would be a little bit more bleak um, playing it back, but like the actual like buildings themselves, like structures and stuff like that, when you're in Boston and you're leaving that first alleyway, a lot of them actually look intact, um, which I thought was really, really well done. Like they did a really good job of balancing infrastructure and not making it look like a giant bomb went off and, and mm. rather, you know, a slow decay of society and people really struggling to, 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 to adapt to what the times might be. So I do think that the game does a really good job of still, making the cities recognizable and and beautiful and not just blowing things up for the sake of blowing them up right um, but it, it makes sense the way that they're weathered and the way that they've shown wear over that period of time and um that's something that i didn't really notice the first time that that i was playing it through or maybe i did and it's just been so long since since i've played it that i i, I don't remember that but it, it definitely stood out to me walking out of that alley and being like man this is still beautiful even though it's very clearly chaotic um outside of the bounds of, of the quarantine zone Mm-hmm. Um, so we we get to the point where the fireflies um, are, are are bombing uh, just outside of of where Tess and and Joel are about to enter, um, and so they enter a building and they basically establish a plan um, to be able to go and find Robert, who's this black market uh, dealer, um, to recover their stolen weapons cache. Um, and you, this is really where you start to get established in the tutorial of the game. Um, but you know, as I was mentioning earlier, I think with Tessa's character, you really get a sense that she's just as ruthless as Joel, um, that, you know, as partners, they really complement one another that, you know, I think something that would be tough is to have a partner that maybe has a, a different moral compass than you might, or doesn't, you know, can't understand why you would have shot somebody in the head 15 times to put them out of their misery. Um, but it does a really, really good job. That was a joke. There, uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a good, there's an, there's an established relationship between the two of them that I think they really understand that it's, it's by any means necessary. Um, and, it, and it's kill or, or be killed really. Um, and so we see that as, as they approach Robert and, you know, that first, that first moment where they're talking to Robert and, Robert runs away and tries to get around with them or get around or away from them. Um, it, it's pretty ruthless that Tess just kills him and, uh, and doesn't really, you know, to seemingly feel bad about it in any way, shape or form. She just kind of, you know, learns the information that she needs to know, which is that he traded the cash to the fireflies. 
and then she disposes of him and then mm-hmm. you just kind of move on there's really no reflection on it you know robert's built up to be this this character that you know is ruthless and has done these things and and you know is getting what's coming to him and they just dispose of him so quickly and and i think that that's again another testament to kind of the world of the last of us is that anybody can be um you know brought to kind of their knees or or, or to mercy just you know no matter what they're able to to accomplish or, or what their role might be in society Exactly. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's that reversal of expectations that we see a lot through this game where you think one thing's going to happen, but it goes three other ways than you mm-hmm. expected. Because in any other game or any other movie or TV show, you know, Robert could have been a character that they um, stuck would have been almost. built, stuck around and may have been a reoccurring person they may have gone back to. Here, it's like they built him up as this character and then they take him out. And it's like it just the story goes on because that's just the world that we're living in. Yeah, it really shows that no one's safe, and I and I really liked that element of the game because I was like, oh, I thought definitely this guy would stick around, maybe have a change of heart, who knows what. But this is also where we're first introduced in the game now to more of the combat. Like we understand that we can crouch, we can move around. Uh, the music elements in this game are very interesting too because in most games, the way I, you know, a, a character sees you, it's almost like maybe a bar in the corner that'll light up, and then you'll get this like flash and this immediate sound but what i like in this game is that when the characters are almost spotting you as you're crouching around it's like this heavy bass sound that starts to increase dramatically as you're becoming more noticeable and then it changes from that heavy bass to an immediate like click to let you know that okay they see you now um time to get moving or time to figure out what's next so i really enjoy that aspect of of gameplay that they've introduced yeah, and I love too that the the controller itself is a little bit more interactive. Like with your flashlight, you have to kind of yeah. shake your controller a little bit to get the flashlight to turn back on, and you hear like the clicking sound from the controller of the PS4 <laughs> yes. on the remastered edition. It's really cool. There's these small little touches that you love. I love when you see kind of game developers using all the tools that they're that they're what they have for them to use. Mm-hmm. That's a disposable disposal. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you guys bring up a really, really um, good point too, in that it it really um, doles out the the gameplay slowly. It doesn't really inundate you with with everything in the tutorial. Like you definitely learn stuff. Some stuff you have to learn by yourself, um, and then some stuff you really you're not spoon fed a lot in this game. Um, there's the basic stuff, you know, how to move around, how to how to you know take aim and stuff like that. But the game does not spoon feed you how to effectively take out a clicker you kind of learn in some cases by trial and error about you know how how much you can get away with in terms of sneaking and um crafting and and you know creating a shiv to be able to take out a clicker versus taking out um you know a human which is what you're seeing primarily at at this point in the game so i i think it does a really good job of kind of building up that moment too you're not getting faced with the most difficult enemies right away it's actually getting your your mechanics really uh rounded and then it's, it starts to introduce more difficulty. Um, you know, maybe I'm overselling it here because a lot of games have that progression, but I do, I just feel like there's definitely a sense of discovering how you approach different scenarios based off of the enemies that you're running. And it, and it makes a lot of sense that, you know, the first thing that you're running into is not a clicker or a runner. It's just other humans that are, um, that are, you know, causing havoc on, on other people that are just trying to get by right. um, in the world. Do, right? we, do we establish that this takes place in the summer? This, did we introduce this as the summer? No, we did. Or how the game is? We have not. No, we did not. It's the summertime, yeah. Yeah, summertime. Yeah, so the the game is kind of broken into different seasons, and 
This is summer of 2033, so mm-hmm. 13 years from now, folks. And it seems incre- increasingly more likely that this is what Boston <laughs> will look like. Uh, so at this point, we've seen Robert die. We now have the leader of the Fireflies, Marlene. Yes. Yes, Marlene. Who, who is injured and promises to double their cash in return for smuggling Ellie. Yeah, Ellie, we're not told we right away, but we, we discover. We're not told right away, right? Yeah. So it's again, it's one of those things where it's it's progressively kind of building, um, but you know, there's a, there's kind of this ominous idea that you know there's a package that needs to be delivered, and you know, we, we're asking this of you to be able to kind of accomplish this task, and obviously, no character in this world is going to immediately be like, yeah, totally, we'll do that thing for you, especially because they've established that the fireflies are not you know they're not always on the right side of, of kind of the moral the moral line um but they do have their own kind of interesting arc but at this point in time you know we find out that there's a, a task that needs to be done um and that it it will benefit um Tess and and Joel greatly if they accept it and then we learn uh, very shortly after we get introduced to Ellie who is immediately confrontational and basically starts swearing at everybody which i learned is a real thing that Ellie likes to do throughout the first couple of chapters. She does not oh. make friends very easily. No, she's a, she's an attacker. She is. She is a runner. She is a non-infected runner is what I would call her. <laughs> but I, but th- that's what I love. I mean, right when you meet Ellie, the character, she is immediately developed in a way where you're like, oh my God, okay, I, I already like this character. She doesn't come off annoying. And it reminded me a lot of how when you first meet Atreus in the God of War games, he he might yes seem like a little bit of a dweeb, but he's still very likable, and you still want to kind of keep this character around. He's not like short round from Indiana Jones, where you're like, oh my god, oh god. shut the hell up. Whereas Ellie, she's a fighter, and immediately you're you know that Joel's a fighter, and you're like, okay, these two are gonna get along, and I can't wait to see how. Yeah, they're either going to get along or they're going to kill <laughs> each other. Yes, yeah, because they're they're so similar. Because when you look at where Joel is. Joel is now 20 years a hardened person in this world and Ellie has been somebody who's grown up in this world mm-hmm. from as a baby. So she is she was born she knows it. no she knows no other world. She knows no other way of life. She doesn't have that sense of loss that Joel carries with him. Ellie is just trying to be kind of kind of hard herself but to trying to fit in I guess with the adults around her because she never feels the age that she is, but she always carries herself like an older older character that she is and i think ashley johnson who does the voice of her just mm-hmm. nails that that performance so mm-hmm. well because she's bringing this maturity to this character who's just trying to find their place in the world but also be a kid and she'll have those moments of levity where she's just a kid and doesn't understand something but it's just there's just such a beautiful balance in the character of ellie and i and i just from this moment on you just know like yeah i'm, I'm glad to have this kid around with me on this journey mm-hmm. it's it i don't want to dive into it just yet but it is one of the major things that playing through the game again really um, makes me appreciate uh, about it is the character building that it does with ellie and just the the I guess the sense of wonder that she has is probably the best way to describe it. I don't want to dive into it right now, but we will definitely talk about it as we start to talk about characters and kind of their motivations and uh, specifically Ellie, because you learn really a lot about her in, in these first couple of chapters. But Dan, I, I, I completely agree with you is like, she is, she is definitely the focal point of this game. Um, 
and more so than it is with Joel. And it's it's strange because Joel is the protagonist that you play as um, for a majority of this game, but Ellie is so clearly the the protagonist and the and the the anchor of the Last of Us story that we know so far. Um, and it's just really cool how they introduce her and how you kind of see her unravel as a character, um, not only over the course of these next couple of chapters, but over the course of the entire game um, as a whole. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's definitely one of the things that I, I keep going back to in this playthrough is just how how human they make Ellie seem, even though you don't really know a lot about her because you're just kind of starting to, to get out of Boston with her and, and she's not yet trusting of Joel and, and, and Tess and you still still get a sense of who she is um, mm-hmm. pretty early on. So, right. Um, so yeah, you, you basically, we're basically at the point where, you know, Marlene has now, uh, you know, introduced them. Ellie's immediately confrontational. She doesn't trust um, Tess and, and Joel at this point in time. Why should she? Um, and Marlene is injured. So she is essentially asking Joel to escort Ellie um, um, out of, of the city limits so that she can be brought basically brought to the fireflies. Um, and there really isn't a lot revealed about why it's so important. It's just a, a, a task that is bestowed upon Joel that he was reluctant, reluctant to accept. Um, but then we find out obviously later on um, why exactly it's so important that Ellie is entrusted to the fireflies um, and her significance in the last of us world. But th- those first um, couple of instances that you spend with Ellie and with Tess, you know, you really don't, you get a sense from Joel that he's not protective of her. He actually just doesn't want to be in the situation that he's in (laughs) protecting her. Um, And it's not really until he understands Ellie a little bit more and, and, you know, trusts her, which he doesn't do for the first, you know, major moments of, of their discovery or of their journey together. Um, He, he resents her and doesn't really want to be where he's at, but he's going to do it anyways, because it's his commitment to Marlene um, so that he can, you know, double his, his earnings basically back with the cash, but then his motivations, motivation, sorry, becomes a lot more pure as we, as we see the chapters uh, uh, progress. Um, so at this point, I mean, feel free to add anything, guys, because I feel like I'm taking over the whole plot narrative here. But um, <laughs> at this point in time, we've we've basically established that that Ellie is going to leave the city with Tess and Joel. Um, and then this is where things kind of start to get a little bit uh, crazy. And mm-hmm. we start to see some stuff about Ellie start to unravel. So yeah, I'll let you guys take over and tell until tell a little bit more. Yeah, um, we, we obviously, like I said, we start to see them kind of make their way out into the outskirts of everything. And this is kind of where at some point they're when they're exiting, it's pretty much nighttime at this point, we start to get introduced to more of the infected. So now we're seeing not the runners yet, but we're just seeing some of the more, I guess, standing ones and we're seeing clickers. We're seeing a lot of different elements that are not being introduced and they're going through the subway tunnels and then eventually they get out. And that's kind of where we're introduced to the, I guess it's the police, the militia, whatever you want to kind of call them at this point. Um, the army and they pretty much catch them outside of the zone. And it's from what I understand, pretty much a, uh, you either go to jail or you die kind of thing. So they start to check for their temperatures, see if they're infected or however they're checking. And then, uh, mm-hmm. next thing, you know, um, we, uh, oh my God, I lost my train of thought here, but that's when Ellie kind of takes over and she pretty much, establishes more of that badassery i'd say and you kind of have to wonder why why did she take over right when she was about to be um i guess scanned and then as the game kind of progresses we figure it out if anybody else wants to continue that 
Ellie is infected. Yeah. <laughs> Ellie is infected. Um, so now that this is being revealed to us that she's being, she's infected and she's the cargo and the reason why she needs to be uh, transported is because maybe there's a cure in her for all of this going on. Is she the hope for the world going back to some type of normality? Um, and yeah, that's, that's a huge reveal. Cause now it's like, we know that she is there. Like if we, we know their destinies are tied to one another now. And Joel gets that sense of obligation. Cause he knows what he lost. And he almost sees Ellie in a sense of, is this way, is this, is she a way of almost regaining back some of what I lost in my previous life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, Ellie, you know, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier that Joel doesn't really trust Ellie yet, or he doesn't trust the motive, um, um, Marlene's motivation for why she needs to leave the city um, or why she needs to be escorted. But in this first interaction, even after Ellie kind of saves everybody and, and is that, that decoy that they need, she states that she's been, um, you know, infected for three weeks and Joel's like bullshit. Like that's his immediate thing is not possible can't can't possibly be what you're saying and ellie is insistent on this being what she's basically going through right now and you get a sense that you know joel maybe doesn't entirely not believe her but there is a high level of skepticism because at this point in time after 20 years there hasn't really been hope of a cure joel has seen this this um outbreak take over his life and change the trajectory of his entire life so to have the idea that this young girl is carrying hope for not only him and for everybody else um, around him immediately but actually for everybody that's still alive in the world of the last of us it's a pretty big moment and it's a pretty big reveal right um and and then you know I, I'm, I'm sure some of that doubt for joel is you know he wasn't told and this is something that's really significant that is revealed to him in just a kind of happenstance sort of way where it, it just, you know, it's a high, t- it's a high tension moment that could have gone in the other direction. Um, and it turns out that there's actually a pretty big reveal. Um, and then this is where, this is a turning point where I think we start to see maybe a little bit more of an empathetic Joel uh, towards Ellie. Um, because as we progress through the story, um, you know, one of the next things that we're going to see as you're sneaking around and getting around the militia, this is really where you start to, to understand um, gunplay in the game a little bit more. And you're able to and, pick up different weapons. And throwing a lot of bricks. Throwing a lot of bricks. And bottles. And bottles. And bottles. <laughs> okay. So before we, before we continue here, there is something I want us to be able to discuss very briefly. But we can come back to it every, every, um, every podcast. Do you prefer to use bricks or do you prefer, prefer to use bottles? I'm a brick guy I like, myself. I'm a brick guy too. Why? Oh, just because I felt the like sound. they were just. <laughs> I love. I just love that sound. Them rolling across the concrete. Also, I feel like I I do like more damage with them. Like I know a bottle yeah. will hurt if you get it thrown in the face, <clears> but I feel like the brick has that that weight to it. That's just like, yeah, you're you're you have a broken nose now. Like I'm sure the the damage indicators on both elements is the exact same, but for some reason mentally. I'm like, yeah, if a brick were to hit me, I'm either just dead or I'm gonna be pretty upset about it. And I also just... I feel like uh I feel like a brick falling is less is more of a hey, there's just like there's something that just fell in there's this just environment. That fell. Yeah. Yeah, not a bottle's like who threw a bottle? <laughs> yeah, who's out there shiving people? I disagree. Okay, well then this podcast <laughs> is fine. done. 
<laughs> uh, no, I agree. I feel like, yeah, if you're, you're going to get hit in the face with a brick, it's going to fucking hurt. And uh, not that a bottle's not going to hurt, but it, it, I don't know. There's something about even just envisioning it right now. I, I, I don't, I think I'd rather get hit in the face with a bottle than I would a brick. I mean, yes, if it was me on the other end of the receiving end, of course, actually, I'd rather get not hit at all. Um, but if, if that's an option, I'll take that. If that's an option. A plastic bottle? <laughs> like a water <laughs> bottle, maybe? Brick? An uh, em- empty water bottle too. An empty water bottle would work, yeah. Yeah, but uh, definitely I throw more bits. Too, uh, we get this is where we're introduced to the clickers for the first time, right? In, yes. Uh, as we're in the outskirts here. Yes, that's oh, what yeah. I mentioned that. Yeah. Fuck those guys. Just, oh, yeah. Right, first and foremost, the oh, worst, yeah. and the the death animation just oh. ruins me every time. It one gets your pulse pumping like no tomorrow, and also just seeing them bite your neck and just like see your flesh stretch in their mouths it's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. whoever's job that was at naughty dog fuck you but also amazing job i can imagine neil Druckmann going back to the animator like mm, uh, it's just a little bit more stringy please just a little bit more more, uh, more do you have you ever seen spaghetti yeah like that <laughs> you ever been to a korean restaurant and order bulgogi it looks like that okay oh yeah, well, you know it. when you we know when you get stuffed crust at pizza hut and you just <laughs> bite into it and it stretches yeah not like that at all okay okay neil i don't know what you're saying but yeah, it was a, it's a crazy animation. I remember the first time I got it, I had the same reaction when I was playing um, the Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raider games, and I would get impaled by a spike <laughs> in that game. I remember just jaw-dropping, and like my controller fell to the ground, and I had the same reaction when I was playing <laughs> Last of Us. I'm like, oh my god. I'll just delete the game. and Because it's a cutscene, so you think you're doing something that's triggering a cutscene. No. And it's like, no, no, you're dead. Yeah. It's... Uh... I mean, this is one of the first times I'll really talk about music, but like it also gives us blood curdling like screeching oh, when you get attacked uh, by one. And I it's just it. the most it's the most unsettling like sound you could possibly hear because it's so brief and you know that there's no way out of it. And then you just I don't know, every time I get eaten or like attacked by a clicker, I think I take a second after. I'm like, wow, that was <laughs> the, that fucking sucked. That was like a brick to the face. Uh, <laughs> and then I just continue uh playing and i just don't want to see a clicker again man like they fucking oh, suck and they're terrifying and they're just not fun that sound yeah. that happens is i think it's like from the b-side of yeezus or something <laughs> yeah he actually I sampled think it yeah for when sure. you when you play it backwards yeah it's like it's like that it's just such like i think blood curdling you said it dan it's like the it's that sound that you're just like i just never want to hear that again mm-hmm. it's just instant anxiety that sound and it's uh, it's funny because later on in this chapter, you are in a room and all that's around are clickers. And yes. I don't know if I've ever been so careful in just like frantically throwing bricks and bottles. I didn't give a fuck at that point. I'm just like, if there's a brick, there's a brick. And if there's a bottle, there's a bottle. This is not one of those moments where you need to be selective about what you're throwing. Um, <laughs> you just need to throw what's available to you. Um, but yeah, there's a moment later on uh, when you're when you're underground that you i think you're underground or you're in a mall you're, you're trying to clear a certain area and there's about six yeah. or seven clickers and it is just terrifying like I, I there's one standing by a gate fence that you have to get to and i get to that point and i'm past every other clicker and then i see this one motherfucker just waiting and i'm like you ominous terrifying flowery looking dude how do i get your attention if i make a single sound you're gonna run frantically at me and all of your buddies are gonna run as well so there's, there are very few moments in games that I've ever played that I've been that, like, I'm that thoughtful and that, like, intimidated by, like, being attacked by one of these things. Because it's instant death. And also, 
it just sucks. Like, <laughs> you just don't want to die by clicker. I would rather get shot by another character in the game. Oh, Being easily. attacked by a clicker is not fun. It's not. Um, so, so where yeah, do we go so we, from here? We meet our first clicker, uh, and then we continue on um, uh, on the outskirts. It's still nighttime. Um, and really, it's just a matter of getting out of the city and escaping the militia at this point, uh, while learning slowly what it's like to exist with um, some very, very terrifying creatures around. Um, and then we start to see the outskirts of the world and the way that they've been impacted. So that the the contrast here, and, and I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it as well. When you're in Boston, I mentioned that it still seems put together, and it almost seems like things have definitely affected the world but the structures and you know the beauty of the city is still there when you get into the outskirts it looks like a ship bomb went off and there's you know there's cracked ground there's there's cars that are just kind of piled up on one another and it really does have this sense of 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 um of wild or just not civilized in the way that you know the cities are still obviously affected deeply by what's happening in the world, but they do see a little bit more civil civilized in the quarantine zones. And when you get to the outskirts, it's just no holds barred insanity. Any, anything really goes. And, and I think the visuals really reflect that as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, go ahead, sir. I was just gonna say, so at this point in time, um, it, they established that full infection should happen under two days, but Ellie was talking about her three week period. So um, they're making their way to, uh, the fireflies, uh, but they find out that the fireflies have been killed. Um, and then this is an unfortunate part where you actually find out that uh, Tess is bitten um, and she's been infected um, as the militia are chasing you into a building and you have to make the very, very difficult decision very early on. It's not optional in the game. It just happens as part of the narrative. But Tess basically um, really enforces Sacrifice. and... Hmm. and sacrifices and make sure that Joel really understands the importance of Ellie to everything that's happening. Um, and I think he, she really becomes one of the motivating factors why Joel is so protective of Ellie and why he starts to, to have a relationship unfold with Ellie. Um, a big part of that is Tess. And I, I, I guess it's another one of those things that I kind of forgot about because it's so early on in the game, but she is such an important part of Joel committing to the task that's been asked of him by Marlene it's actually not for Marlene or for Ellie but part of it is because Tess really just pushes him to to, to accept the responsibility that he's taken on yeah. and the importance that Ellie has in this universe so mm -hmm. Tess is actually a really really important character and I remember her name and I remember elements of Tess but I definitely that's something that going back to it now I didn't quite remember her being as big of a part of a motivation as, mm -hmm. as she actually is and and I think just again like going back we we talk a lot about the performances in this game and these characters do such an amazing job of feeling like they have such a rapport with one another. So when we do say goodbye to Tess, you feel that pain because you you believe it, you see it, and you you feel like you've been you've known this person for so long, and um, we just believe that Joel is is going through this and he's going to be losing somebody that he's relied on, and. And Dan, you spoke about the relationship that he builds with Ellie. And at first, like this, there's a lot of resentment that he has towards her at, at these stages that he has to get over because she is now the reason that he lost his only kind of friend and, or someone who has some type of relationship with in this world. And now he's stuck kind of holding the bag of 
now having to bring her to Tommy uh, and kind of see what the next stage of their plan is going to be. Yeah. And uh, again, speaking on the performances in the scene, this is real, really, you kind of get some sort of a hint as to what kind of relationship they both had. I mean, when she's bitten and she's telling Joel to continue, she's like, if this means anything to us, then then you got to do this. And I was at that point, it's like, okay, was there something romantic involved at a certain point here? Or is it just the fact that when Joel says we are survivors, is is that the relationship only? And I love the ambiguity that it creates because it really helps to kind of flesh out these characters further. And it's a sad moment. You're absolutely right. So at this point in time, we, you know, Tess sacrifices herself and we've um, come to the conclusion that the best safe haven now that the fireflies that they were originally taking Ellie towards are dead, um, is to uh, bring Ellie to former Firefly and Joel's brother, who we met earlier in the game, um, Tommy. Uh, and at this point in time, this is where you start to see Ellie ask about, um, you know, who Joel is and maybe a little bit about Joel's past. He does ask, you know, Joel, uh, she does ask, sorry, Joel, if, if that's his brother. Um, and, and they start to build that kind of rapport with one another. And this is, I'm going to go back to Ellie for a second. This is really where you start to see Ellie grow because now that you're outside of the outskirts that she's, or sorry, the quarantine zone that she's seen, she's starting to be inquisitive about what it was like in, in the past life. And one of the things that I really love about this game, and it, it's probably going to be one of my biggest takeaways is just how much gets invested into into Ellie's wonder of what's happening around her at any given time. You see it now, but I think you really start to see it more so when you get to Pittsburgh, where she's stopping and she's looking at ads and she's stopping and she's reading or she's you know inquisitive as to what the world was like before or you know when you first get into the forest with Ellie just after um, the segment that we just talked about, she it's the first time that she's seen greenery um, and trees, and she didn't know that the world could look like that because she's been in the quarantine zone her entire life. And it, there's there's so much there's so much wonder in everything that she does that I don't think that beauty is something that Joel still sees because he's seen so much um, you know pain and suffering, and he's been a part of that in one way, shape, or form. Um, in, in the time that we've seen him so far, but Ellie is really this kind of pure, um, um, you know, youthful uh, person of wonder that just wants to exist and see all of these things for the first time. And I think that that's, it, it's a huge part of Ellie's character. And I'm curious to see how that's going to grow into the sequel. But like in this game, there's so many of those moments where you can interact with her and have a conversation with her. And I, I honestly feel bad for missing some of those moments because I know I haven't gotten all of them because they're some of the most enriching for the relationship that Joel and, and Ellie have in this game. And they really fulfill um, some of the, the holes and understanding about who Ellie is um, and, and what her beliefs are and what her thought processes are. And, and I just find that really, really interesting and really, really compelling to want to learn more about. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Um, for so long, we, we kind of see her as a kid, but how, when we're introduced to her in the quarantine zone, she's like, she's this little spitfire, just like, being more mature than what she is but also when she's introduced to things that she's never seen she has that childlike wonder um and i always feel bad in this in this moment you know because now joel's here with her they're surviving and they're enduring um and joel literally tells her never bring up tests again and it's just <laughs> a testament to 
like not talking about the histories that he doesn't want any of that because he just sees her now as a mission he has to complete he doesn't want any personal ties because he knows if he makes any personal ties he's risking losing that that that's a that's a risk for him and he doesn't want mm-hmm. that he's a very calculated person at this point mm-hmm. as a continue to go on through the story but as those walls begin to break down in him you it's earned all the more so when you see them really start to establish a liking for one another Mm -hmm. and i think now is like we start to work towards him getting to bail and that's when we start to understand okay you know there are other people that have that joel has come across and you know maybe he's not best friends with them and maybe the word best friends isn't a thing anymore in this world but he still has these relationships that are again just like you were saying uh daniel they're, they're calculated relationships they're they're things that he knows that he can use so we move on to that element now of we're, we're getting to bill who is bill what kind of character is bill and i think right when we get to the, his town it, it all it's all very very clear it's all immediately like this guy is paranoid this guy is he's got bombs set up everywhere he's got different traps um it's just unique and now we're getting more into the gameplay of crafting we we definitely had crafting before because you had to heal yourself but now we're learning about okay we can make these different bombs we can learn about these different uh nails and stuff that we can put in so it's it's very cool and um i really liked bill's town as a as a a setting i agree It, it uh it's it's very um it's very low key, like it, it's it's pretty close together. So it, it does very much feel like everything's connected. You're going from basically from garage to garage or from building to building. Um, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you're, uh, there is one thing I want to mention because Joel does plug the podcast. Um, he says uh, <laughs> he says endure and survive uh, in the building with Ellie. And so I just you know shout out to us. And thanks, Joel, knowing six years ago that we were going to do this. Thank you, Troy Baker. Um, thank you, Troy Baker. And uh, Ellie uh, is the one that actually tells him about it, and he kind of scoffs at it, which I, I think for Joel's character, I don't know if anybody in this game embodies enduring and surviving as much as Joel. So for no. him to scoff at the at the quote that Ellie gives him that's so fitting of what his journey has been so far and what it's going to be in this game, I just kind of laugh at it because you obviously know what will happen to Joel, but... Um, and and to Ellie throughout the course of this game, but he doesn't even have a sense of that. So it it's just a very small moment, but it does make me just kind of you know laugh a little bit because there's nobody that's a greater example of enduring and surviving than Joel um, in, in this universe from what we've seen so far, right? So mm. you're, you at this point in time, I think um, between the two of them, you know, Daniel, you mentioned it, but like he, he has established relationships. He really presents Bill as this guy that, you know, he's, he's, he's a nice guy, but he's paranoid. He doesn't always take to people really well. So he's really prefacing Ellie for, um, the worst. And, you know, despite Ellie not being infected and showing, or she is infected, but not showing the signs of infection, she is very aggressive and she immediately starts cussing out Bill. I think she says, fuck you to Bill like five times within the first 20 he's seconds. Like, of hey, meeting fuck him. you, man. Like, yeah, oh, and it's just, Ellie. it's like, it's it's constant. And it's so funny because, like, even as somebody playing the game, I'm like, Jesus, Ellie, just, like, shut the fuck up for five seconds. Like, just you don't need to attack this dude. He just saved us. And your immediate thing is to be like, no, fuck you, man. I don't need to do... And I'm like, okay, chill, chill, chill the fuck out. There's a... Um, sorry, I was just gonna say, there's a game piece, gameplay sequence right before we meet Belle um, where, you know, Joel falls into his trap and he's hung upside yeah. down. 
and you oh, have by to his ankles by his ankle yeah. and you got to do that whole sequence upside down and i remember the first time i did it i was so paranoid and panicky i, I got killed and then after a while i'm like okay i just gotta play a little bit like this it's almost inverted in a way and yeah, I just really love how when games don't just stick to one formula, they, they try to change it up. And it was very apparent so early on in the game that we were going to be getting stuff like this. I have a gripe with it because um, you have unlimited ammo. Okay. And I think that's unrealistic because, you know, you know what? as you would we have talked died. about earlier, Shay shot a man 15 times in the head. And then I can only assume, I don't know whether it's happened. I assume he went and shot uh, Tess after she died. I did. So. Yeah. At this point in time, you should have no ammo left, but somehow you're hung by your ankles and you can just keep reloading, you know, pumping into runners. I, I, I hate to debunk your, your theory here, but the reason why he has so much ammo is because he's upside down. So all that was left were bullets are just falling out of his pockets. He's had just years of residue bullets just in between his jackets and his crevices. And they're just falling out. So he's catching them. His crevices? Like his yeah. underarms and his ass? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like <laughs> his ass cheeks. Maybe like he's probably got a bit of a dad bod. So just a little bit underneath, you know, his gut. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. So he's just got this a lot of bullets. They're just this, rolling out of his underbelly. <laughs> this all makes sense to me. This this all seems plausible to me. If you ask Neil Druckmann, which I hope you don't, he'll say the same yeah, yeah. thing. I'll tweet him after the podcast. I'll ask for clarity on this. Uh, Neil, just to confirm. Real quick, cool. uh, Just to confirm. Also, subscribe to the podcast. Joel talks about it in the game. Uh, a friend of ours shot a guy 15 times, and we want to know how Joel still has so many uh, bullets left over for the sequence. I can't wait to see him tweet you back saying, well, it's about his crevices, Daniel. He's, he's not going to tweet you back. He's just... He's, <laughs> Like, you didn't oh. think about the crevices, Daniel. <laughs> his crevices. His crevices. <laughs> I hope I sincerely hope that's the answer because it'll uh, it'll it'll be very illuminating, and also there's yeah. hope for all of us because we all have our own crevasses. We have I, oh, I, we I would do. survive. I would we survive. that's that's what I learned growing up. We all have and our crevasses to bear in life. You know, that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, gameplay sequence very cool. You shoot a bunch of runners. There's a clicker that attacks Ellie, but somehow doesn't kill her immediately. Um, even though it it would kill you immediately, so that makes a lot of sense. It, it sounds like you got uh, a lot of you got a lot of gripes with this. Yeah, you got a lot of gripes this game. Do you like this game? Here's the thing: I don't, I don't, I don't have. There are things that are just a little bit unbelievable, and I'll, I'll go into it a little bit more because is it the zombies? No. Okay, so there's a moment. Is <laughs> I, I I didn't buy it. I didn't I buy this virus. I can't get past the fact that they look like giant flowers. Uh, <laughs> There, there's a moment. I'm gonna. Talk, I we grazed over it, but it actually bugged me so much that I wrote it down. When you're escaping the militia, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is just on the non-hardest difficulty that this happens, but Ellie will be super not subtle. She could be saying <laughs> "fuck you" to the militia in the oh, middle yeah. of the room. She's like, "Hey, fuck you, man!" And they just like don't bat an eyelash. If I step wrong, they shoot me endlessly. <laughs> oh, in- instant death. Oh, that's but the person that they're looking for is in the middle of the fucking room, just flipping the bird off and just like doing whatever kind of shit Ellie's doing. She's literally bumping into them and like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm gonna try to get around you. Yeah, there, there, there are definitely yeah. moments in the game where I'm just uh, like, I'm just like, fuck this, I'm running, and Ellie will just be like, oh, let me just tickle these guys as I'm running past them. It's like Ellie, <laughs> She's no. Fuck. She's looking at a fucking poster. She's like, oh, what album was this? Like, this looks so intense. I'm like, Ellie, move the <laughs> get the fuck over here. And she's and they don't shoot at her. They're just like, oh yeah, that's another kid. She's fine. Like, ah, uh, get out of quarantine. No, she's cool. Yeah. 
Ah, get out of here, you crazy kids. <laughs> As she's turning into a clicker. Uh, but she uh, she doesn't... Yeah, she, there's just so many moments, and it drove me nuts, because I'm like, you mean to really tell me that she can stand in this doorway and give you the evil eye, and you're just going <laughs> to casually look around this statue and see me and shoot at me, yeah. but she's totally cool. She can still <laughs> make it. She's going to make it to Tommy. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I died. I died a few times to that sequence, too. Thanks. Which one? The Thanks. one where Ellie is not closing a distraction, or uh... no, no, when uh, when Bill tied me up by my ankles. Yeah, I died a couple times. Yeah, there. definitely hung up there. And then obviously we meet Bill, and then you know, like you're saying, a um, lot of lot of f bombs are tossed around. But at this point, what we're trying to go towards is we we got to get a vehicle, we got to get out of here, we got to find Tommy. So Bill, uh, Bill, luckily he knows. Okay, there's a bunch of cars in the area. Yes, for sure. You know, it's been 20 years or however long, but they still have working batteries, some of them. So I know of a car. Let's get there and let's get this car running. And this whole sequence of events, obviously, we're learning more about, you know, the different types of zombies. And then we get to a character's house. Actually, right before that, uh, when we're trapped in the school is when we're introduced to another zombie element, which is the bloaters. And these fuckers were, uh, man, they they were annoying. Oh, yeah. Ugh. They are big. They're big motherfuckers. I bet and they have a lot they, of yeah. Uh, and you know, they have very many crevasses. And uh, it's very, it's funny how quickly they just kind of write off like why they exist because they're like, man, that, that's a big dude. And they're like, yeah, that's what happens when you've been infected a long time. It's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and then they just continue on. Uh, like Ellie, that's your future. Sorry, it's just going to take a little bit longer than everybody else. <laughs> so um, when we get to, when we get terrifying. to Bill, the uh, the the whole thing of them going to Bill's because Bill owes. Joel a favor and yes Joel is kind of cashing in on the favor because he wants a car so they could drive to Pittsburgh um so we go through a, a few ordeals we this is where we also start to see more human interactions where it's not infected that we're fighting we're, we're going up against a lot of different humans that are kind of patrolling areas and we kind of have to go get stuff to bring back to Bill and hopefully get a car working so we could get the hell out of get the hell out of Boston yeah, out of Bill's town, and this is where we we kind of understand more about Bill because we realize that the house that you know had the battery in it was Bill's partner or lover. You know, it's very hard to kind of uh, they they don't explicitly say, but it's heavily implied. And you know, at this point, the car gets started. You know, Ellie starts to drive, and they they kind of move on, and they they part ways with Bill. And that's a that's a nail biting sequence too, because you're you're trying you're pushing that car down that mm-hmm. street. Yes, and it's like you're just getting an onslaught of like it's like horde mode right now, of just like things running at you before you can kind of get into that car and get going. And again, this game does such a, an amazing job of just feeling the pulse of its player and being like, we never want you to get comfortable. We no. always want you to be ready because at any time, even when you think something is going to go as planned it's going to go in another direction what you expected there's always this is a really fun sequence to play through and i think one thing that it does um well that i really enjoy about horror movies and suspense movies is that it it this sequence takes place during the day and in a lot of you know zombie mythologies or in zombie universes it it's so dependent on the dark and the night and and not being able to kind of see the enemy um, and in this case, like it's broad daylight and you're looking at five clickers running at Ellie, the invincible, and you're trying to 
you know, fend them off. And I made the mistake of, of trying to shoot all the clickers that attacked the truck before realizing that that's not what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to jump in the truck and just drive the fuck away. Uh, but I made the mistake of trying to, you know, attack the clickers and try to take them all out. And, uh, it's pretty horrifying considering that it's the middle of the day. It's not a secluded area. You're in the middle of the street. You've got plenty of space to go and it's still, it, it does a really good job of creating atmosphere when, um, the typical atmosphere that you see in horror style or suspense style games, um, isn't there. It's, it's just broad daylight. They're just in the middle of a town and they're just trying to get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it, and it really creates a lot of suspense and, 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 uh, and, and it makes your heart race a little bit as you're trying to, to get away from, from the hordes of, of enemies that are rushing you. Yeah. Last week we spoke about how this game kind of feels like it's always fighting back at you and not in a, not in a bad way, but again, it just does that. It does a thing where it's always making you feel like you're just scraping by, you're just mm-hmm. getting by. So with every new level or every new kind of area that you get to, it really personalizes the experience. Cause I'm just like damn i just did that that was me who did that and like it just it's just so fine-tuned how they designed this to make you really feel like man i just survived like i didn't i didn't beat this level i survived this level yes yes exactly that um but then we we start to drive into pittsburgh at this point and I, what i really like about this sequence here is we're now introduced to enemies that are no longer just zombies and I know, I know we kind of had that already with the militia, but this is now painting the picture of of man and the violence and, and the way the chaos has kind of spread through the world. Because these guys that we meet, they are some sons of bitches. Oh, yeah, they're, think, they're vicious people right when you get into Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think one of the most important things that you learn in that moment is that they are vilified and they're awful and they're terrible And, you know, they do some awful things. Um, But one of the first sequences in, as you get to uh, Pittsburgh is you learn that Joel has been on the other side of that, right? So she, Mm. uh, Ellie asks him how he knows about that, that it was an ambush. And he says, because, you know, I've, I've been on the other side of that and I know what it, what it, what it's like to, 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 to be the attacker and not the the victim of an ambush. Right. So it kind of creates this terrifying, ominous background for joel because you know again we've talked about it a lot with joel he's a survivor but joel really is like he he gives off the sense that he will do whatever it takes and nothing short of that for survival right and so if that means you know ambushing um innocent Innocent people, people if that means killing people if that means you know making taking the hard path like he's kind of been there and and done it all right joel is not a quintessential good dude um in a lot of ways from what they established early on, he is doing a task that was asked of him and he understands the importance of it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a good guy. And that's, that's interesting because we'll talk about it later when we get introduced to Henry and Sam, but there's something that Henry says that really made me think about this moment um, and really reflect on it and think about Joel's, uh, Joel's character and the way that he continues to develop over the course of the game. But we'll talk about it once we jump to, to Henry and Sam, but yeah, this first sequence you know, you're in the bar or you're in the, you're in a, a store, I believe. Yeah. So you crash your like car. A grocery into a store. store yeah. Like, yeah. It looks like a grocery store and you're fighting. Um, yeah. Enemies. And, and it really gives you this idea, you know, who are the monsters Are the monsters, you know, the infected or the monsters, the humans um, that are, you know, adapting and surviving and maybe doing not some 
not not the most moral shit in in times that that need you to be a little bit more desperate for survival mind you with these guys in, in you know the the um, the city of Pittsburgh, they don't seem to be just surviving and doing what's necessary. They seem to be going through and being dominant and hunting. And um, there's a sequence where you watch a, a girl and a guy in the middle of the street and they just both get shot dead, like without any kind of hesitation, mm-hmm. their bodies get searched. And then they just move on in their, in their Humvee that has this mounted gun on it. Right. Oh, so God. You, you don't get a sense of like they're doing this out of necessity. You get a sense of they're doing it because they have the ability to do it and they don't really give a shit um, about anybody else that's impacted by, by you know, them pillaging and doing all this kind of, uh, of immoral stuff that they're doing throughout the city. Yeah, there was a um, there was a moment. Sorry, just real quick. There was a moment when we were in the car um, right before we got to Pittsburgh where Joel and Ellie are kind of having a conversation about music and comics I remember Ellie gets this last page of this comic. He's like, oh, this is what I hate right here. To be continued. I hate cliffhangers. And I just thought that was so funny because literally this game fucking ends on a cliffhanger. Or, you know, as to some degree it does. Right. It leaves it open for sure. Yeah. Go on. Go Um, ahead, Daniel. No, I was going to say... this In this sequence too, there's a lot of moments because you're faced with so many human characters where like you're taking characters down and then other characters will kind of be flanking you. So like the AI the, the, in this, in this moment, they really feel almost like you're playing other, like, like other humans are controlling them because they're, they're really smart and they really come after you. They're really relentless in their pursuit of you. So when you're, again, when you're, when you're kind of forced to go on foot from the car and you're just trying to survive, like it really does feel like you're trying to escape with your life in this sequence. And uh, it's just, it's just really fun. And I'm, it makes me excited for part two because in part two neil Druckmann said that you know like when you're facing off against these other human characters they won't just have like set paths oh, that they'll yeah. control they're going to know each other so that if means. somebody goes down they're going to call out hey where's shay shay's down they those bastards killed shay like they're they all he's got, got a like, wife a human, and kids oh no. you know he, he shot me 15 times shay. <laughs> you know so it's like they're they're going to have even more uh, of a of a history to them even though they're just kind of random characters you're in, encountering so that's crazy it just, it just it just blows my mind to see how far we're going to be coming and how we're going to like be experiencing that in less than a month but um <laughs> yeah i think i think dan uh from what you said like this from this point we we kind of get introduced to sam and henry um and mm. they're two of my uh two characters that i think about a lot from this game yes I just want to very quickly. Um, it reminds me of a moment from Rick and Morty. A quick aside, where uh, Rick is telling Morty that uh, if he can just shoot the insects and uh, they're they're robots, so it doesn't really matter if he murders them. And he shoots one, and then they go down, and then another uh, alien goes over and is like talking him through it, and he talks about his family and like saying bye to his wife and his kids. And then it cuts to Morty, and he's like. I don't think they're I don't think they're robots, Rick. I think they're actually people and and then he's just like, well, they're bureaucrats, it doesn't really matter, but it just reminds <laughs> me of the moment that you were just talking about. Uh, I actually just watched that episode. That was the first episode, I believe. That was a pilot. I just watched that the other day. That was the first episode. Yeah, it's it's one yeah. of the funniest moments in that show because it's just so it's just so bad and awful and it just sets up Rick to be this horrible horrible person. But when you're talking about that, like the idea of humanizing um the people that you're killing in the game, um like that's that's an important aspect right is like there there is some moral um 
there, there is some moral uh, um, line that has to be crossed to be able to establish that you're trying to survive. And they are yeah. still people. They're not just NPCs that are dying. Um, yeah. and, and, and not a lot of games do that, right? If you think about how many people you kill, you know, there's a funny video out there about the Uncharted games, how many people that Nathan Drake's killed and he's still a hero. Uh, but, you know, there, there is another side to that. And, and you don't really see it that often in games at all. And, and you don't really deal with what that, what that fall the weight of it, like yeah. for the character. Yeah, you don't I was the gonna weight s- of it. I was gonna say there was that there was that thing too with the Uncharted games where when whenever Nathan Drake's being shot, they they don't think that of him being shot. They think of that as his luck meter running out. So the redder your screen gets, the less luck he has is of avoiding the bullets. Yeah. <laughs> Last of Us is not like that. No, you're you're getting shot. You're getting yeah. shot in this game. Yep. Yeah. So we're again, uh, Sa- Sam and Henry. Sam and Henry. So yes. Sam and Henry. So we're, yeah, we're we're walking around with Sam and Henry, and what I love is. The again, the survival instinct is there. Where as soon as you know Henry and Joel start to kind of fight, they they stop because Henry's like, "Well, I know you're not one of them because you're with a kid. They don't really keep kids, so I know that you guys are looking for the same thing. So let's help each other out. There is a place nearby, and they've got a whole bunch of supplies. And I'm sure in any you know uh, apocalypse trope that's always like a thing where it's like okay there's always a place a sacred a haven where there's a bunch of supplies so as take it with a grain of salt but let's go and you know it's finally interesting we have these two characters that are maybe not the same age but at least they can bounce off each other and i love how as we start to play with these characters and kind of go through the motions of pittsburgh it uh, it really sets a lot of character development for these characters that we're with there's a moment too when you when you encounter Sam and Henry where you're kind of like in a in a store and like Sam like sees like this toy that he wants and mm-hmm. Henry's like no we only take what we can carry we only take the essentials yeah and uh, if you wait a moment like if you don't do anything for a little while you actually see Ellie pick up that toy and put it in her bag to, to keep it so it's, it's yeah. a really cool nod that like if you don't wait you'll never see it but if you do wait you'll actually see her pick up that toy to give to uh to sam later on very very cool it's that's that human element that the game really gives you with all the npcs that like they're 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 making considerate decisions and they're making decisions that exist that aren't imperative to the to the narrative but they're still happening like there's a living world outside of the way that you're experiencing the game i didn't catch that to be honest with you maybe i caught it the first time i played it but there was other things i was i was interested in 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 the toy store like uh jack and daxter the board game and uncharted the board game (laughs) Uh, which are still stocking the shelves, which is awesome. I took a couple screenshots of that as a, as a huge Jack and Bad yeah. Master fan. That makes me happy. And then Charter Board Game too, I think, right? Yeah, there's there's yeah. all of their uh, all of their major franchises. I think have a board game in, in the in the in the store, so that's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool Easter egg to see. Um, there was something when you first meet Henry and Sam, and I wrote it down because it, it it again it was one of those moments where it really I kept thinking about it. They initially are standoffish. Um, a, I think if Joel is in the position where two other survivors uh, approach him and he thought that it affected his survival or, uh, survival odds, Henry and Sam would have been dead, or at least Henry would have been dead, because I think that that's the different kind of decision making that Joel would make in that in that in that scenario. And again, thinking about um, putting the guy out of his mercy, or in Jay's case, just having fun with it, uh, <laughs> or in the first chapter of of uh of passing that family on the side of the road like he is not the most considerate he thinks about himself and he's really thinking about how he can survive um so i'd be curious to know if if you know if if joel and ellie were in the position of power would they have shown the same 
mercy for Henry and Sam as Henry and Sam showed for Ellie and Joel. Um, I don't think so. I think it would have been a lot difficult and I think, uh, sorry, a lot different and it would have been a very um, different dynamic. Uh, but there is something that Henry says, which is that these aren't the bad guys. Um, and he's alluding to the guys that are, you know, the people that ambushed Joel at the beginning that Joel says he's been in their places before. So I, I just, it made me think about it and this idea of like good and bad Joel they don't perceive him to be a bad guy, but he is one of the, he's gone through the, the, the motions of what the people outside are doing and torturing other people and, 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 you know, doing what they need to, to survive. But that's not the default that, that Henry goes, uh, Henry goes to. He's more of an optimist. He sees them as human. Obviously he sees Ellie and thinks it's his daughter. He does say in dialogue afterwards, you know, is it just you and your daughter? And he, he kind of corrects him. Um, but yeah, it, it just made me really think about like, how differently that could have been had had the encounter been from a, a point of power from Joel and Ellie's perspective rather than from Henry and Sam's. And then just reflecting on, you know, their perception of who Joel is. They really don't know him that well and they don't know any of his history, um, but they make the assumption that he's a good guy, that he wouldn't have done these awful things. And it turns out he actually has done some pretty awful things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we continue along the path with Sam and Henry. It's great because, you know, uh, Sam and, and Ellie start, Ellie start to establish a relationship. They're very similar age. Um, Sam jokes that he's the same age as Ellie or he's 12. And then kind of Henry tells him that he's not, or he's going to be soon. So there's some really, really great banter, um, between the two of them. And there's some really, um, heartwarming moments, like when they're going through the sewers they find an area where they're kicking a soccer ball between two posts um, before Henry kind of shuts it down. Um, and there's just little moments like that again, like with Ellie interacting with the environment and there's moments in Pittsburgh where she's looking at like models um, that are on the sides of buildings and asking, you know, why are they so skinny? Was there not a lot of food prior to the end of the world? And Joel having to kind of try to navigate and, and have a discussion about, you know, know what was a look back then. So you know, going back to that sense of wonder, it's it's very interesting to see how Ellie's experiencing it without the filter and without, uh, you know, understanding all of the, the society's pressures that were around prior to the outbreak um, and the way that she's just kind of learning about the world and, and learning about the different ways that things were prior to when she was alive. So there's a lot, a lot of that Ellie character building actually takes place in Pittsburgh because it's the first time that she really gets to explore a society rather than kind of the ruins of it the way that she does when you're, you know, in Bill's town or when you're in the outskirts of, of Boston at the beginning of the game. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So how far are we going to go from here in terms of, is this, is this a spot where we're going to kind of leave it on or do you guys, are we talking a little bit more about Sam and Henry? Where do you want to go with it, Dan? I think for, for um, at this point, we're really reaching the point where we're ending uh, uh, this chapter before we get into the suburbs. The real other big moment here is um, they're, they're trying to escape together to get to the bridge. That's basically Ellie and Joel's goal is to get to the bridge in Pittsburgh. Um, and there's a moment where uh, something happens and it basically stops uh, Joel from being able to join Henry, Sam, and Ellie on the top of a bus to get to the next area that they have to get to. <laughs> And Henry um, and Sam basically move on and Ellie jumps back down to be with Joel so that they can find a way to escape together. Um, And that's a really telling moment as well. You know, Henry, up until this point in time, doesn't really have that, you know, 
give up on 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 somebody that's relying on us for survival instinct. And this is kind of the first time that we see that happen. Uh, and then you know a, a short time after we've gone through and found our way onto the outskirts of Pittsburgh after we've washed up on a shore. Um, with some shipwrecked um, um, ships and stuff like that, um, you do actually run into Henry again, and Joel confronts him and holds a gun to him, and Ellie is really the only reason that he doesn't shoot him. Um, and that's just a, another one of those big moments where I think Ellie has a huge impact on who, who Joel is becoming and who he is and the amount of compassion that he's showing. Um, there's a small little bit of dialogue that happens afterwards where Ellie says, you know, I, I like having them around. Um, and I think, you know, it was a good idea that we, we kept them around. Um, and Joel agrees, even though Joel's instinct initially was to potentially kill the two of them because he, you know, they abandoned them back in Pittsburgh and not knowing that they were going to be able to actually leave the city. Uh, and then at this point, this is where we really see things kind of slow down uh, narratively. And we, you know, navigate the sewers and we navigate this area outside of, of Pittsburgh with Henry and Sam. And then we make our way to the suburbs. And that's kind of where we're going to leave the plot for today. Um, so we can go back and deep dive on, on anything that we may have missed. I think we've done a pretty good job of talking about all the characters that we've run into so far. Um, we could talk about Henry and Sam a little bit more. Again, Baps, you mentioned that there's some of your favorite characters and some of the characters that you've reflected on the most. We don't know their full arcs up until this point, but um, if there's anything that you want to talk about, if there's anything that you know you find really compelling about them, um, I mean, we could talk about that. That, that. that There's some great insight into Henry and Sam that we can we can dive into. For right now? Yeah, we can or talk about for, it right now. Uh, a lot of it kind of has to do with uh, the suburbs. Su things, suburbs. So 100%. I want. I, I. I really. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna save that for next week. But they are. They are some of the. I think unsung heroes of this game because they're not the ones that you always think about the very first time you when you're talking to somebody about this game, but they are. They're characters that I think deserve a lot of attention of just what has happened to the worlds up to this point and just how broken some people are and mm -hmm. beyond recovery. So um, I'm really excited to dive deep into them next time. Yeah. The bulk of, to your point, the bulk of their character development is really over the course of the suburbs and, and leading up to, to some of the tragedy that we see later on in the game. So definitely a topic of discussion that we can come back to next week. Um, is there anything else, Shay or Daniel, that you that you feel that we've missed? If there's anything that you want to talk about or expand on a little bit more, we've covered a lot of ground plot wise and character wise. But anything in the music or anything in the atmosphere or any characters that you feel that we maybe grazed over? I think the only thing that I wanted to add, and real quick, was um, it was around Pittsburgh when Joel really starts to develop that trust with um, Ellie, and that's when he gives her a gun. So she can help him shoot from the crow's nest. And then eventually she gives her a pistol that she can just kind of carry on herself. Yeah. Um, it's also when we were the game was first announced, this was the section that they showed off to us. Yeah. Yeah. The hotels, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, another great sequence. Yeah. This, this was a long sequence in the game. Too. Very long. The, the whole hotel sequence. Um, yeah. That was that part of that original uh, reveal in the video game awards. And then the E3 demo that we had in 20, 13 was pretty much the whole kind of hotel sequence mm -hmm. where you're i got stuck on the sequence for a little bit because a lot of it is like find this ladder and then move this ladder here and then move yeah. this move this cart over here so like there's a kind of a, a little bit of repetition in this part mm -hmm. but it's it's again it just shows 
how talented Naughty Dog is in the studio where it just shows that this place has just gone to shit once <laughs> this <laughs> once this outbreak happened. Yeah. Yeah, that was it for me. The the other thing uh, with the hotel, because it again, it's a really long sequence and it's really important. Again, that sense of wonder from Ellie. She talks about this being a really, really beautiful place, and Joel tells her that it's a little bit too rich for his blood. Yeah. Um, so you 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 learn a little bit more about the two of them um, in that hotel sequence. But we, yeah, I, I, that that's a big moment, Jay, that you mentioned that we kind of just grazed over. That you know he doesn't trust Ellie with a weapon, um, even though she's shown some prowess with it. You know, getting away from the guard um, when they're trying to take her temperature earlier on. Um, and he finally trusts her with, you know, getting his, you know, having his back. And, and that major sequence outside of the hotel doesn't happen without Ellie looking over his shoulder and making sure that he's safe. So it's such an important part. And we really only continue to see that grow over the course of the of the of the game. But this is really one of those pivotal moments where that trust is first established and it really sets the tone for what their relationship is going to become by the end of the game. So it's a good mm. point to leave on. I think that's a, that's a, that's a really important thing that, that um, we don't want to understate. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we are coming to the end of our part two of the series. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground, a lot of story development, a lot of different characters that we're meeting for the first time. Um, next time, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit more about ha- – uh, I almost called it Ham and Senry. Uh, Henry and Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and Henry and uh, and their dynamic with uh, Joel and Ellie. You I'm also, surprised I didn't say Ol and Ellie. You also Ellie. you also before did say – almost said Jelly. And I was like, I wonder if that's like their celebrity duo name. Because you're like Je- – you're about to say – back when we were talking about Tess, you're like Je- uh, Joel and Ellie. And I was like, I think he's going to call them Jelly. My name is Jess, uh, <laughs> is what I was actually going to say. Um, <laughs> I just, I confuse them, man. You know, they look so alike and they're so similar. They're very, very similar. Um, but yes, so next time we will be covering, obviously, more of Sam and Henry's story. Um, we dive into uh, Tommy. We finally get to that point that's been built up to quite a bit at this point in time. Um, and some great stuff that's that's happening in the next part. But we do establish a lot in these first couple of chapters and they really set the tone for what we're going to start to see in the suburbs, Tommy's dam, and then eventually the university in next week's episode. So mm-hmm. lots to cover, lots of exciting stuff. Um, yeah. Thank you everybody for listening. And thank you guys for joining, joining me again and talking last of us for an hour and almost 30 minutes. Lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. And thank you. Yeah. Like you said, thank you to everyone for listening um, we were ex- really excited last week too because we were on the top charts on iTunes, Apple Podcasts for uh, the video game section, for the leisure section. So uh, it means a lot to us that you're listening because we love, obviously, we have a lot of love for this game and um, we really value your listening. Yeah.